Perspective. I'm Chris. On this episode, I'm going to be talking about the case of Bobby Bostick. I'll give a brief background and synopsis on the case, and then after that, I'll be joined by attorney Emily Albright out of Seattle, Washington, to kind of break down why Bobby's case is so unique and the technicalities of it. So to give you a little background on Bobby, he grew up, as he states, below the poverty line in the inner city of St. Louis, Missouri. He did not have a father figure while growing up. He had three siblings, an older brother, a sister, and a younger brother. He says he started drinking and smoking at age 10, using marijuana at 12, and PCP by age 13. He began stealing cars around the same age. He graduated junior high, but didn't make it far into high school before dropping out. His younger brother was shot and paralyzed when Bobby was 15. That brother has since died. When Bostick was 16, he was on probation for assault. He also had other arrests for which he had yet to be prosecuted. At one drug-related conviction, he was legally assessed as being an adult. When I asked Bobby when and why did he get involved in criminal activity, his response was that he grew up idolizing the neighborhood drug dealers and gang members, and no matter how much his mother tried to keep him on the right track, he would gravitate to those older gang members. Bobby said he started stealing from stores and breaking into cars at a very young age, and those behaviors escalated quickly into stealing cars and selling drugs because, quote, pumping gas and shoveling snow weren't making enough money to keep me with the latest fashions, end quote. Bobby said that selling drugs and being in a gang caused him to carry a gun for protection. This is when his criminal activity turned violent. When I asked him about the case he's currently in prison for, Bobby told me that on December 12, 1995, it was a typical day in the neighborhood, drinking gin and smoking marijuana laced with PCP. He told me he was from North St. Louis, but on this day he was in South St. Louis, around where his mother lived, hanging out with some friends from that area. A female friend of Bobby's from his neighborhood on the north side got into an altercation with a man from the south side. The woman then went and got Bobby and his co-defendant, 18-year-old Donald Hudson, and the men came armed with guns to confront the men that had the confrontation with the woman. The confrontation was resolved without violence, and as Bobby and Donald Hudson went to leave, they noticed six people with a truck full of items in the neighborhood, and they hadn't seen these people before. At this point, both Bobby and Donald decided to rob them. The victims of this robbery were a group of people who were delivering donations to a needy family for Christmas. Bobby and Donald approached them with their guns drawn, demanding money from one man. When the man refused, Bostick shot and the bullet grazed him, after which this man surrendered $500 in cash. They also took a wallet from another man in the group and a leather jacket from a woman in the group. After this robbery occurred, Bobby and Donald attempted to go to a nearby friend's house, but that friend would not let them in. They went back out into the street and immediately carjacked a woman. They detained the woman in the car briefly while they drove off, robbing her of her coat, earrings, and purse. The woman testified in court that Donald Hudson also groped her breasts. She also said that she thought that Donald Hudson was going to rape her, but Bobby, who was driving the car, intervened and stopped that from happening. The pair threw the woman out of the vehicle shortly after. Bobby and Donald were arrested an hour later. Four months later, Bobby Bostick was charged with numerous offenses as an adult and offered a plea deal of 30 years in prison, as was Donald Hudson. Bobby turned down this plea deal on the advice of family members, believing that this plea was essentially a life sentence and there couldn't be a sentence any worse. He instead chose to go to trial, later saying, quote, I knew I was guilty of the case, but I always thought I had a better chance with the jury. As a 17-year-old, I still wasn't thinking clearly. End quote. Bostick was found guilty of 17 charges, including eight of armed criminal action, three of robbery, and one of kidnapping. The judge in this case, Judge Evelyn Baker, ordered his charges to run consecutively rather than concurrently. Bostick received a sentence of 241 years in prison, 
and the possibility of parole at age 112. Bostic is serving the longest sentence in Missouri given to a juvenile for non-homicidal offenses. Donald Hudson accepted a 30-year plea deal and was sentenced accordingly by Judge Evelyn Baker. He later admitted to being the main instigator in the crimes, and that Bobby Bostic was a follower. Hudson acknowledged himself that he deserved a longer sentence than Bostic. One of the victims testified in court that Bostic, quote, just stood there looking stupid, end quote, for most of the robbery. Donald Hudson would have been eligible for parole in 2020, though he died of a drug overdose in custody in September of 2018. Since being incarcerated, Bobby Bostic has published eight books of poetry and four nonfiction books. He's completed his GED in prison, as well as business classes and earning a paralegal diploma, and over two dozen other certificates in educational and vocational programs, including ones from Adams State University and Missouri State University. He's currently just a few credits shy of achieving his associate's degree. He's written letters to his victims over the years in prison apologizing for his crimes, though he's never heard directly from them. Joining me now is attorney Emily Albright out of Washington. Emily, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. So I brought you on to talk about the case of Bobby Bostic. So from a legal perspective, what did you think about this case? This case is super interesting. And admittedly, I was not very familiar with it before you asked me to come on here and, and talk about it. So I did quite a bit of research and it just kind of, I got into like a legal K-hole sort of. But, and then I just really nerded out because it's a very, very technically interesting legal matter, unlike anything I've really seen before. And, and there's a lot of really weird issues going on that prevent what seems like, you know, a fair or logical, reasonable outcome for this man. But due to these really bizarre hurdles, um, it, it, he's not able to get what, in my opinion, I would say, fair at this point. It's it's not disputable that he should have been convicted of these crimes, really. It's more so the sentencing, which there seems to be an issue. What are some of these technicalities that are holding him back from having a resentencing? Because I'm sure people listening think that all you have to do is just um, that that same judge just has to be, you know what, I changed my mind. But it's not like that. There's a lot of procedure and a lot of shit that needs to happen. Uh, what are some of these technical aspects and things going on in this case that are keeping Bobby Bostic in prison for 241 years? Yeah, so what I'll do, I'll kind of just start from the beginning. Um, and then if you have any questions along the way, feel free to interrupt me and we can chat further about it. Long story short, he and his friend had quite it was like 16 or 17 felony charges against them um like robbery and a bunch of armed criminal action where i mean it was a really serious situation and they faced a lot of jail time do you feel that that warrants being tried as an adult well that's a whole other issue yeah. but you know i don't know those are that's a, a different issue that we can kind of talk about a little bit after I go through the legal history, because I do have some thoughts on that. Yeah, basically, they were fucked. They had a bunch of charges pending against them. Um, his friend was 18 years old. He decided, you know what, I'm I'm just going to plea out. And for that many charges, I mean, he took a 30-year plea. And Mr. Bostic yeah. was just like, man, like, 
I'm only 16 years old. That's like twice as long as my life. Like, I don't want to take a plea for that. You know, 30 years old seems like forever when you're a kid. So he decided that he was going to take his case to trial. And again, like you said, it's not really in dispute that these offenses occurred. So the the decision to take it to trial is kind of an interesting one for whoever was his legal counsel. But nevertheless, they took it to trial. He got convicted on, I believe, all counts. And that's where it gets really tricky, right? Right. So... The judge, it's a total of potentially like 241 years, which is what he ultimately got. But it really was like a matter of 30 years, 30 years, 30 years, and then like a couple of lessers. And that's how his friend got the 30-year plea deal, because he ended up taking a plea where his sentencing would run concurrently. So it was like multiple 30-year sentences but he only had to do 30 years to satisfy all of them. And in Mr. Bostick's case, the judge, for whatever reason, and this is one of those things that's like makes the story even weirder, but she decided that she was going to sentence him consecutively. So it was going to be 30 years, then the next 30 years for the next conviction, and so forth, to where it's 241 years, which that is an insanely long sentence especially for a minor yeah and especially in a case where there were no homicides involved or sexual assault um i think that they did maybe a couple people might have got shot but no one was even majorly injured um so that's yeah i mean that's insane that's a 16 year old kid who did some dumb shit when he was fucked up and 241 i mean that's like in essence that's well, life sentence. And it was 241 years. But with the possibility of parole, mm. I believe when he's um, 112 years old, <laughs> which is kind of just like insulting, too. It's like, that's still life without the possibility of parole. Like, you really think he's going to live his next almost 100 years in prison and, and make it that long? Right. So, I mean, it's crazy, right? So at this point, like you said, he's 41. He's been, he was convicted in 1997. So it's like 23 years ago. Yeah. I'm terrible at math. Something like that. Um, But he's been, he's been in there for like 25 years, I think. Um, So he's still got technically, you know, another 200 and something more years to go which is a joke. Um, So the reason why this gets really interesting, too, is because he appealed his case, and eventually it was taken all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. And that was in, I think, 2018. Um, And the reason why is there were a couple of decisions that came out, Supreme Court decisions, One was in 2010, and it was called Graham versus Florida. And then the other was in 2012, and it's called Miller versus Alabama. And there are some important distinctions between these, and then I think kind of like what the popular conception is. Because I know um, we had chatted a little bit about this, and one of the first questions you asked me, you're just like, how can they even, like, Miller v. Alabama? (laughs) 
And I was like, yeah, but first, and then I, I went and I read through the cases and there's a lot of technical nuances in there. Um, and the reason why I bring up Graham again, because Miller, in essence, kind of mm-hmm. like extended, built off of the Graham decision. But we have to back up to the Graham decision, which ruled that juvenile life sentences without parole were unconstitutional for crimes other than homicide. So, and they found that other than homicide crimes, any perpetrator that uh, had committed such a crime before reaching the age of 18 um, to have life imprisonment without the possibility of parole was a violation of their Eighth Amendment rights because it constituted cruel and unusual punishment. So there's a lot of, you know, it's not as simple as like, oh, minors can't get life right. or minors can't get life unless they murdered someone. Like it's, there's, a, there's reasons why that the, the court decided this way that really play into like future case law that comes from this. So, and that case is interesting too, because the, the defendant, Graham, he was 16 years old when he was arrested for attempted robbery and armed burglary, assault, and battery. Um, And he pled guilty to all those. This is another hole where I couldn't find the answer to this, but in the case, they explain that it kind of sounds like maybe he was a first-time offender and he got, um, he was just on probation because six months later, he got arrested again for a home invasion robbery. And he, while he denied, because yeah, yeah. I was like, why was he out if he just, you know, had all those convictions? So I think he kind of got a good deal the first bite of the apple. But once they got popped for the home invasion, um, he, he maintained, he was like, I didn't have anything to do with this. However, I acknowledge that, you know, whatever they were doing somehow was in violation of his uh, probation terms. So then going back into court, the judge sentenced him mm-hmm. to life in prison. <laughs> and this was in Florida, which had abolished parole. So in effect, right. that became life in prison without parole. And so that is why that made that all the way up to the Supreme Court. And so it's again, it's interesting because the facts are kind of similar to the one in Mr. Bostick's case. And then so then we have Miller versus Alabama in 2012, which had a long discussion because the fact that it got up to the Supreme Court was largely based on the Graham decision. And the Miller decision is very, very interesting because a lot of people, again, read it as, oh, they extended Graham. So now, like, no one who's a minor can get uh, life without parole. Right, and that's not the case. Right, that's not the case. So the technical issue in Miller, it's not that no juvenile can get life without parole. It's that mandatory sentences of life without parole for juveniles are unconstitutional. Right. Only mandatory. They could be discretionary, Mm-hmm. but mandatory. Um, so again, like in, without having a little bit more of a technical legal background and understanding of this, I can see why people get confused and frustrated. And then even going through it, you know, and having that understanding, I get, I'm even more frustrated because it's like, man, he would be perfect in theory <laughs> yeah. to, you know, get some sort of justice through this. 
But, you know, he didn't get a mandatory life without parole, and he didn't even get life without parole, technically, because of the way that the judge sentenced him and the fact that he indeed does have the possibility of parole, even though it will be when he's 121, which, Mm -hmm. let's be honest, he probably won't ever reach that age. So although he is, in effect, has life without possibility of parole, on paper, under the law, he doesn't. So he doesn't, that's why the Supreme Court ultimately declined to take his case under Miller even. And the weird thing is they didn't give an explanation. Sometimes they will when they decline to rule on something. And they did in in, in Bobby Bostick's case. They didn't give any explanation. <laughs> Probably because they were like, I don't even know what to say, man. This is fucked. So so in in I'm pretty sure in Miller versus Alabama, it's it's non-mandatory life without parole or equivalent to. So that nuance of him having parole, albeit he'll be 112 years old, is they don't see that as an equivalent to life without parole. Well, and his sentence wasn't mandatory. Yeah. So again, Miller only finds that it's unconstitutional for juveniles to receive mandatory sentences. And you're right. Thanks for bringing that up. Of life without parole or equivalent thereto. Again, it's under the Eighth Amendment as cruel and unusual punishment. So he 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 doesn't he doesn't qualify under appeals versus Graham versus Florida, Graham versus Florida or Miller versus Alabama because the nuances of his sentencing, the structure of his sentencing, one might say. Right. And so this this is all know, just the crazy that that was like yeah, and that the the whole problem for him comes down to it's not that the jury convicted him it's not even that the jury convicted him on all counts yeah it just comes down to the fact that the judge again for whatever reason really wanted to prove a point on this 16 year old kid and gave him this outlandish sentence yeah and so it's it's really frustrating and the more i dove into this um so that judge she has now since retired and she has come out publicly and apologized, saying that, like, she regrets giving that sentence the way that she did consecutively instead of concurrently. She realizes that what this man now has is the equivalent, you know, in fact, of life without the possibility of parole. And she's kind of an advocate of his at this point because there is a pending, there's pending legislation in Missouri where he's from that will give him relief. If there's going to be any sort of relief, it's probably going to have to happen on the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's actually, I read some articles that she was quoted in and she's kind of gone around and lobbied to help, you know, get support for this bill. And I'll tell you what the bill is first, and then I'll kind of give you more of an idea of why she changed her mind. Yeah, yeah. So the new bill um, would provide anyone sentenced to life imprisonment with or without parole a term of imprisonment 15 years or more, or multiple terms that if taken together, which is like what happened to him, would amount to 15 years or more, who was under the age of 18 at the time of the commission of the offenses shall, after serving 15 years, be eligible to submit a petition to the parole board for review um, of his or her sentence. And then if it's denied, every three years will become eligible again 
indefinitely until a presumptive release date has been established by the parole board, which is, I mean, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like this is literally, I can't really figure out another way that he is going to have, you know, a realistic chance absent like clemency or something. Yeah, that's, um, so, that's pretty, that's pretty um, groundbreaking per se for absolutely for juvenile uh, sentencing is, is, sentence as an adult and things like that i mean that's really something like that in place is is kind of unheard of right now totally and it'll be really interesting to see you know what happens and, and if it does pass whether other states will follow suit because you also have to think there's so many different angles to look at this from not only are you taking away basically some the rest of their life starting at childhood but it's really expensive to keep somebody imprisoned for that long and so like if it makes sense for somebody if they've been rehabilitated or in a lot of these cases just simply kind of grown up and don't do dumb shit anymore (laughs) and they're you know they they should be released back into society like even if every three years somebody comes up and they're like no dude you're still not getting out or like no it's there's no chance i mean even just having that opportunity and after 15 years as a minor if you've done 15 years in prison like that's gonna have a huge that's gonna seem like life already oh yeah so you know if there's any incentive to like get it together and be you know on your best behavior and try to rehabilitate yourself and educate yourself get ready to go out into the world like the oldest you would be would be what 32 at that point if you were a minor when you got sentenced so like that's yeah i mean yeah you'd still have your life ahead of you yeah and we've we've talked to we've talked to juvenile offenders and and i mean the recidivism rate for them is very low rehabilitation seems to be so much easier with offenders like that um i know in in your state in washington there's a uh, some sort of intermittent uh sentencing review board that certain inmates can qualify to go in front of and that review board has the power to commute sentences are you talking about the drug court no no we for instance we interviewed um a juvenile murderer named michael humphreys who was in washington when he was 13 he broke into a home shot two people killing one and paralyzing the other and he was sentenced to i believe it was something in the realm of 50 years maybe possibly more and he's done he's done roughly 20 years something around that um already and he went in front of this review board where if you're in prison and I, you had there's certain criteria to meet i couldn't tell you what that criteria is but michael's case met it so he got to go in front of this sentencing review board and they Essentially, I, I guess it's kind of like a parole board, but instead of sure. gra- grant being granted parole or you go and see them at this time, they kind of it's kind of like to check up on you and see what have you done in prison? How's your prison conduct? What have you accomplished and all this? And if so, they can commute the sentence and they effectively they liked Michael. They thought he was a, a great candidate to go back into the world and they pretty much gave him time served and commuted, shaved I, I right there shaved like 20 something years off of his sentence. So I know that's, that's in this, awesome. In this, I honestly, yeah. I did not even know about that. Yeah, like, that, I don't particularly just practice criminal law anymore. I don't really practice criminal law. I used to, um, I used to be a public defender. 
Yeah. Um, but now I practice civil law. However, as you know, I'm like wildly interested in criminal law and, yeah. you know, true crime. And that's kind of how we connected. But that's cool. And it doesn't surprise me that Washington would do something like that, right? They're really progressive here. They're also mindful of, you know, a huge emphasis on rehabilitation, yeah. especially with minors, because you have, you know, a more likelihood of like getting an education if you're getting in there like high school age um then you can like get free college <laughs> oh, yeah, um, and yeah. you don't have anything else to do so you can't be out getting in trouble you might as well like learn something or like trades or whatever so yeah i think that's that's really awesome and another yeah. thing that the judge that um had sentenced uh him in in our case that we're talking about she when she goes around advocating um she makes a big point to discuss the fact that like at the time Again, I just think it's like totally weird why she did that. And she doesn't really have an explanation. But at the end of the day, like judges are humans too. (laughs) And they're not perfect. And sometimes they make less than awesome decisions. You know, people have implicit biases. Um, Sometimes, depending on the nature of the crime, they may have been a victim of a similar crime or, you know, Mm-hmm. She may have had a, a friend or a relative that was at one point like robbed. And so it just, even if she wasn't really aware of it subconsciously, it may have been a motivating factor, which like back in the 90s, they didn't really talk about that as much as they do now. Knowing that, I mean, basically what she did was wrong. And yeah. in so many words, she's willing to admit it, if not directly through her actions. You know, she's going around advocating and saying like the biggest thing that she didn't really realize or think about at the time is that like if you're 16 your brain's not even anywhere near done developing no absolutely and yeah again we definitely have more insight to that on you know neurobiological science at this time um i know a couple years ago when i was in college i think I was a psych major, um, and they told us that your brain wasn't done developing until you were like 23. Yeah, 23 um, or But the research that's like that. come out, yeah, the research that's come out most recently, now they're saying 25. Yeah. And so, yeah, she just, if you're thinking of a 16-year-old kid, although they might have committed some very adult crimes. Well, well, um, let's take let's take account into the the cultural climate at the time and in 1993 you absolutely. had Nathan Dunlap who went into a Chuck E Cheese and killed everybody in there and then they go on and and all over the TVs and everything they're talking about these children as super predators and that was the thing for a while the whole super predators these ultra violent uh juvenile offenders and youthful offenders who just don't care about anything and they're the worst of the worst and that later came out that that's not a thing (laughs) and so it's like how much did that influence judges who wanted to be harsh on crime and stick it to these super predators which i'm sure bobby bostic totally that category i mean who knows how much of that played a role in it but i mean these are the things that people have to consider when it comes to yeah. sentencing and rulings. Because on and paper, like, like, on paper, if you're not looking at him as a whole person, right? It's like, okay, he did drugs and he was underage drinking mm-hmm. and him and his friend had guns and they kind of just went out and did like a crime spree one day. Like, if you don't know anything else about that person, you're kind of like, okay, well, you know. And again, like you said, if there's like mass hysteria about juveniles becoming more violent and, you know, you never know, maybe... um like 
the prosecutor or the judge were going to be up for re-election or something, yeah. or, you know, there was just a general agenda in that court system at the time that they really wanted to set an example um, so that they wouldn't see more of those cases. But, uh, yeah, it just, it really, it really strikes me that she is remorseful about that now. And she, she is seeking for this bill to be passed, um, because, yeah, again, his brain wouldn't have been done developing, now they're saying, for an, another nine years. Plus, if you take a step back, it's like, who didn't do stupid shit when you were 16? Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, maybe not to that extreme level, but you're not, you don't think the same way when you're 16, right? You feel invincible, and you, people just do dumb shit. And depending on, you know, it sounds like he grew up, he was a product of his environment. There was a lot of gang culture and he grew up, you know, without very much money. Um, and so he, you know, did what he had to do to get by, made some friends that they didn't always do awesome things. Yeah, prob- probably to the law. shouldn't have been but it's just like, people. But yeah. Hindsight yeah, 2020. Yeah, and it's just like, yeah, hindsight 2020, I'm sure he'd tell you, like, when that girl came over, I'd been like, nah, deal with your own problem. Like, Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's just like one day, especially the fact that they were all fucked up on drugs, like, PCP in general just gives you, like, tons of adrenaline yeah. and makes you do all kinds of crazy shit. So it's like taking all of those things into account. Plus the fact that, you know, he has done a lot of amazing things during his time um, in prison. I was reading up on him. You know, he's written several books. He's got an education. Um, He writes poetry. Sounds like he's a really, you know, valuable member of the prison community and, and kind of a leader to others at this point. So it's not as though he's acting the same way now that he was when he was 16 i don't i hope none of us ever act the same way that we did when we were 16 forever yeah Yeah, or even through like your 20s for that matter yeah i mean i was definitely a shithead probably well into my 30s but um yeah i'm like i'm 25 like i feel like my brain was still developing after that too but he uh he's done he's done a lot in prison if his conduct is good it's not going to be perfect it's fucking prison <laughs> you're surrounded yeah. by criminals there's going to be problems but... and i'm sure he had a rough time for like the first several years but he's been in there like tw- 25 years yeah. i think he's so written a, he's written judge him by his to his victims yeah some of them have you know not at least one ha- has written a letter of support to reduce his sentence and the judge is now actively trying to get a bill passed to reduce his sentence. And that's what I think should happen. I don't think it should be so black and white of juvenile gets charged as an adult. You get sentenced as an adult. You do adult crimes. You do adult time. No, I don't think it's like that. I think it should be that if you do find your way into the adult system as a juvenile, you should have your own sentencing structure there should be more opportunities for parole more opportunities for rehabilitation and the system is not made for that right now that's like a major major overhaul that would have to take place and it would take a lot of time but i i do feel that parole opportunities should be increased for people with cases like bobby and and more things should be taken into account that this is not an adult it was he he wasn't an adult you can't argue it you know so it's just right and it's the a fact fucked that up like, case in that regard 
Yeah, and uh, like legally, technically, like I was saying, like the fact that Graham versus Florida and Miller versus Alabama, that those decisions came down from the Supreme Court, and those are major, huge decisions that affect our criminal justice system throughout the country, but he just barely kind of falls through the cracks. Yeah. And so seeing someone, of course, he's also like an exemplary prisoner and like a very, you know, he's he's done a lot. Not everybody does that during their time, but like, it's so frustrating to see someone where, you know, it's frustrating when justice could be served, but the law just really doesn't allow for it. And so I'm glad to see that, you know, they are doing this. I I hope it passes. I know Missouri's kind of been, I mean, just the fact that this verdict ever came down and the sentencing, like they've always been kind of harsh on criminal punishment but mm-hmm. hopefully the fact that this bill is being introduced and with the judge's support and kind of his overall story hopefully that's a sign that you know things will change and it's really exciting to see when you know basically this bill is being introduced because of him <laughs> because of somebody that fell through the cracks and somebody else cares so much a lot of these people care so much about you know finding justice for the exception that can't quite fit in these Supreme Court decisions. Um, it's just really exciting. And it's it's changing the law into ways that like weren't contemplated before. Yeah, definitely super interesting stuff. But um, yeah, let's wrap it up and get out of here. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talking uh, with me about this. Um, it, it was Thanks for having me. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. Yeah, so hopefully we can get you back on another interesting case and uh, we can do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right, thanks.